everybody. Uh, thanks for joining uh, me again. It's episode 75 of uh, Get Out of Rat. And today I'm joined by Andrew McGaskill. Thank you very much for joining, Andrew. You are a job-seeking guru um, on, on LinkedIn. And that's not a word I've used very often, the guru word. It kind of scares people at times, doesn't it? But if I was just thinking about the things I write down about how I'm going to introduce someone, I haven't got enough space on my iPad. Um, so you're the founder of Executive Career Jump, official LinkedIn change maker, which is just awesome. Um, but one of the, the line that I loved was you're on a mission to end job search misery. So thanks very much for joining. Let's start there. What a powerful statement that is. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Martin. It's great to meet you and congratulations, 75 uh, episodes. That takes some effort. So congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, this the, the mission to end job search misery um, has, has been a bit of a journey over the last couple of years. So I'm from a, a, a recruitment background and I started doing some career coaching on the side, but two years ago, decided to go all in because I could see how much people were suffering whilst they were in transition between jobs. And this kind of horrible thing exists whereby the longer you're on the job market, in many ways, the less likely you are to get hired. Mm. So you can find yourself in a very difficult mental spiral, financial pressures. Um, it's a really tricky thing. So we kind of coined this mission to end job search misery and have been all in on that now for 18 months. And it's been an, an unreal journey. We've had a great time. So it's good to be here to talk a little bit more about that. And hopefully we can get some some ideas and help out to some of your listeners. Oh, that'd be great. And um, we were talking just before hitting record about, as well as uh, our beards and just putting ourselves out there, which would be good to talk about as well. Um, just how, in a very small way, I just started posting about job seekers in my um, network. And over time, you make a really good point. Uh, there's been a couple of people that have been on the, the list for some time and naturally even if you didn't know them beforehand you get to know them just in interacting even if it's just through linkedin and some of the some of the impact that it's had on people mentally about their self-worth how they perceive themselves and how uh, how they think others perceive them through constantly feeling that pressure um, of being out of work and maybe you've defined yourself by your job role up to this point to see people go through that is it's heartbreaking to be honest that you've seen someone like let's say january by may they're still out of work they're near enough like two different people how do you in some of the things that you run it'd be good to kind of point people to what you do but how do you even start helping people get over that yeah that's no, a great question mate and I, th I guess the first thing to say, what you're observing and what happens is basically a grieving process. Mm. So you go through a typical grieving cycle of, um, you know, initial panic, sometimes some anger. And a lot of people spend way too much time obsessing over the detail of what happened before and looking in the rearview mirror rather the windscreen ahead, right? And, you know, obsessing over the last employer and catching up with old colleagues and finding out how doomed they are without them and you can, you can waste all your energy on that. And it, it's kind of natural in a way, but it's not, it's not healthy. So the first thing to say is that acknowledging that it's, it is a grieving process. You've got to give yourself some time. Going out and interviewing too quickly isn't necessarily the best strategy, right? So, so, that, so that's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is to try and help people see the opportunity in the situation. So 
quite a lot of people, once they've landed, end up going somewhere that brings them more fulfillment anyway yeah. and are able to say, well, you know what? I was pretty uh, stressed in that previous role for the previous two years anyway. So in a way, this is a good thing. And it's, it's helping people see the opportunity in it. Um, and the other thing, and this is super important, is making sure that people don't feel isolated. So connecting them with other people going through the same thing. Uh, making sure that at any point that that horrible inner critic who tells you a piece of crap and no one wants you and all of that stuff that everybody gets, that there's interventions there to help people with that internal chatter. Because you need to be entering into interview conversations in a good place, able to sell yourself, feeling positive about the future. So it's, there's a lot of unpicking there. And the longer I do this, the more I realize that whilst, you know, all the LinkedIn stuff and the CV stuff and the interview training we do is, is powerful and is all marginal gains. Really, the mindset piece, as with most things, mate, is is the biggest uh, differential. You, it, that's given me goosebumps because it it reminds me. So I was I've been maybe done it twice, and this the second time. Can I stop you uh, there? Yeah, you you weren't made redundant. Okay, nice. Okay, my role. Spot on. Yeah, carry on. My role was made redundant. This is good. This is like live coaching. Yeah. Um, and the second time. I that thing that you the, the way you've just described the kind of grief and but anger and picking over the detail of right well why why is this role being selected what other roles have been selected who else can I speak to and exerting a lot of if the decision has been made it's been made and now like you say I moved on to better things but looking back that first I would say month even finding out finding other people who'd also been made redundant recently and wanting to meet up with them. Like <laughs> one guy said to me, why? We, we, we didn't even meet up when we were working together. And it's just, I was angry and I wanted to, you know, be angry with someone else. It's very, per it's, you're spot on. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's, and particularly the first, you know, if you're not expecting it and you're blindsided and you haven't been anyth through anything like that before, it's a big shock to the system. As you say, a lot of people have their identity tied up in what they do you know when you yeah. meet new people it's like well what do you do for a living it's one of those classic things and you've got the family element like it's not just one person who's made redundant it's everyone around mm. you right yeah. like, when it happened to me and my wife um a few years ago we were in the same company and you know one day got a text message to go to a hotel and that was that type of thing and when it happened to us you know the effect on our children on our folks yeah. people were worried about us they were checking in on us it's it's mm. wide-reaching like it's, mm. it's which is why companies need to make sure that um, they're not doing it lightly and that they are looking after people on the way out preferably as well yeah so that kind of from that first that first stage of kind of going to acceptance what do you advise people how do they how do they go about it because I love the way you talked then about the chatter because it seemed from personal experience that it was a deluge to start with it was a deluge of chatter and it's all of a sudden imposter syndrome which I didn't even know what it was called back then, but that came back and went, see, you weren't good enough for this role. All of your fears have come true and you're not going to get another one. So you need to aim a bit lower, you know, mm. and having to fight with yourself to do that is exhausting. Yeah. Um, so imposter syndrome. So all of these things, it's about reframing Martin, right? So what is imposter syndrome? Well, imposter syndrome is humility. So the same humility that makes you a good 
people leader, which has made you good at, you know, being able to sell and do commercial deals and the type of things you've been involved with in the past, that same humility then rears up in a negative way when you're in transition. But if you can relabel it rather as imposter syndrome, seeing it as the downside of one of your attributes, then you start to understand it a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, you can accept mm-hmm. it a little bit more. But the, 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 the real challenge and the thing to avoid is what we call the jabs which is job acquisition burnout syndrome. Like That's not a real thing. I've completely made that up. I love it. Yeah, the jabs. <laughs> Terrible case of the jabs. And again, a lot of the time when people come to us, they're either trying to avoid it or, they're, or they can see it in others or they're already in it. And the jabs is you hit the market, you're angry and you panic, you then fly out and start interviewing. Um, you don't interview well because you're just not in the right space. Mm. Still carrying all that emotion that you were talking about. Um, the headhunters that used to be super interested in you when you're in job all of a sudden aren't returning your calls. You apply for 100 job ads and get next to no response. And you get more and more stressed and more and more panicked, which then in turn affects your job search performance. and You just spiral. And it's so easy for that slippery slope. It becomes self-reinforcing. So how do you intervene in all of that? How do you start to manage? Well, structure is your friend, right? Now, I'm the least structured person ever. I'm a sales director by background, similar to you, right? So I love on the fly. I love having a go at it. Um, <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's my zone. But I have learned that particular, you know, time on your own in your own head is not a positive unless it's, de- you know, unless it's deliberate and you're, you know, you're into you know, the meditative side of things or something like generally time in your own head isn't positive. So how do we get around that? Well, first of all, you kind of got to reframe it and say, right, I'm not out of job. I have a full-time job. My job is my job search. I'm the CEO of my job search. And as a head of contact centers, I'm going to approach it that way as if I was managing a project. So I'm going to have different activities. I'm going to plan my time. I'm going to leave the house every morning and have a fake commute for half hour before I come back into the house and start my day of work. I'm going, to take, I'm going to take a lunch break. I'm going to maybe even have a scorecard in terms of how I measure my output every week. And, and I'm going to attack it in that fashion so that I'm too busy, too focused and too proactive to go on the downward spiral or fail. Mm, love that. Love that. Because you're tapping into what people have been successful in. You know, Bang and on. That, Bang on. Uh, um, my, one of my biggest frustrations is I pick up people who've ran amazing things and I've, I've worked with you know, commercial directors from contact centers and GMs from contact centers who have been used to running you know, three, 400 sized teams in yeah. multiple locations with around the clock, follow the sun type models that they've been responsible yeah. for. Like these are serious people who, um, yeah, who've, who've done great things. They hit the job market and they go completely passive. Mm. You know, they kind of just retreat and they get hooked on what I call hopium, whereby they're just throwing in CVs into job adverts and hoping that they get picked. And they're not using any of those amazing skills, any of those people skills, any of that organization to their own benefit. It's nuts. Do you think some of that is, um, is it cultural that when we don't, you, you hear it often, people don't like to blow their own trumpet or um, put themselves out there. Uh, could you make a really good point? One of the guys that I've got to know through trying to support them, I wanted to do something that highlighted the great things that people have done. So they're more than just a name and the role that they're looking for. They are people with experiences, skills, great achievements, and all of that brings, and also great losses. And I think if you've, 
on this podcast, when people have come on and they've talked about how they've got to where they are now and they're, they're successful or they're seen as SMEs, most people go to a point of adversity in their career as the biggest learning moment. So job seekers who have dealt with the resilience, been looking for a job in a pandemic, kept their family together, kept their sanity together, still pitch up and deliver great things, they're superheroes. They're amazing. But just to go, I went off on a riff there, but to go back to my original question, this putting yourself out there, what do you say to people who, like you say, they've got all of these great achievements, but don't really um, set their wares out very well? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And I, I, I loved what you said when you riffed off about um, the superhero element of it. I, I totally agree. And I don't know a more motivated ready to rock group of people than the people that have been on the market for the last 12 months like anyone who hires them is going to hire someone who is going to go absolutely nuts <laughs> yeah. once you put them in in a good way right yeah but the productivity you're going to get out of these guys and girls is going to be insane because they're yeah. raring, raring to go um so in terms of the uh fear of rejection it is a we are it, it, you know the americans don't have this problem let's be honest there's there's definitely a cultural element to it here in the uk um i think again reframing and, and this, this is most, most of the techniques that I use with our clients, it's about reframing. Um, I say, okay, well, for a start, if you're making a job application, you're not being rejected because they've never met you. They can't reject you if they've never met you. What yeah, they're doing is reject, they're rejecting a piece of paper versus a job advert, right? So think of it in that way. Also, rather than going out to um, chase a new role, which is what most people do, which leads to a hell of a lot of rejection at a time where you're already sometimes hurting and suffering, um, go out with a view that you're going to attract a new role. So what does that mean? What it means, well, rather than just applying for jobs, you need to be going out adding value. So take on mentees, um, find a way to add value to people in your network, set up a podcast in your industry and pay it forward that yeah. way, as, you, as you've shown. The more value you add and the more you pay into the ecosystem, the more you're going to be front of mind the more people that are going to have that reciprocity that they're going to want to help you back, um, the higher your profile is going to go. And also, most importantly, the better you're going to feel about yourself in the big moments when you have to sell yourself at interviews. So again, rather than trying to make, you know, chase a job, work out how you can do activities that make you feel good, that add value and attract in the job. Serving others during your period of stress is the best way out of it. It's amazing. That's, I wouldn't, that's just turns everything around just turns everything around that is brilliant to actually just like you say if you were to go back to one of your earlier points if you were looking at this as the head of a contact center and you had a challenge you would you would go straight at it and you would you go right how are we going to smash this um and to do that to to think right okay as part of my job structured job search structured day here's a whole section where i'm gonna you know, like you say, take on mentees, do a podcast, write, start writing blogs, do something for your industry to get your name out there, I think is a brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. You've, you've managed to uh, take that leap, interestingly, haven't you? So I, I try and get lots and lots of people to use LinkedIn and social media more, as you can imagine. Um, I, I'm a LinkedIn change maker as of yesterday. So I'm what a... does that mean, by the way, I was going to ask you? Yeah, so, um, so LinkedIn have appointed eight of us um and contracted us as ambassadors basically so the change maker campaign is all about linkedin as a force for good 
So you've got a change maker for different um, challenges in society that are important to the new world of work. So there's people doing diversity and inclusion. There's people um, who are representing the uh, LGBTQ uh, community. Um, and I'm in there as the change maker for career setbacks and unemployment. So we've got TV campaigns coming. We were shooting TV ads a couple of weeks ago. We've got content coming and we're just really, really pushing for using our power on LinkedIn to drive social change in the new world of work. That's that's what it is. I love it. That's great. So needless to say, I'm a massive fan of the platform. I was before that. And obviously, you know, it was a no brainer for me when they came to me with the partnership idea. But I'm more interested in you in terms of <laughs> how were you able, because I try and convince people all the time to take the leap and start producing content and things. How were you able to do that? And what's your journey been like in terms of LinkedIn as a platform? Uh, great question. Um, yeah, and I think it came from, uh, so when was it? It was about seven years ago that I, uh, the role was made redundant. The role was made redundant. And um, through my network, I kind of missed out on some opportunities. And whilst I had been active, I wouldn't say I was active for me personally. I was active for the companies that I, that I worked for. Um, and I just, I was at a point where I just thought, um, I'm, I'm laughing because it's just that kind of, oh, fuck it. Yeah. So I, I just thought I would, I would have thoughts or I'd write things down or I'd see things and I'd go, I, if I was in the contact center and I talked to people about it, it would, it would resonate well, or people would laugh or, or whatever. I just started doing it on LinkedIn. I just started posting and. Um, because I was coming at it from a point of not, not caring sounds wrong because apathy is not apathy. It was about just enjoying the process and enjoying feeling out of my comfort zone, slightly nervous, less worried about um, the outcome. So it wasn't, it wasn't for anything. And that gave me a kind of freedom. And I'm still kind of in that, in that space. Don't get me wrong, there's been moments where um, whether it's you you get weird negative feedback or because you, you're basically putting yourself above the parapet and for some reason some people just go yeah I don't I don't like this guy uh, uh, others others do so you've got to be okay okay with that and that is again just coming out of your comfort zone just something something new and it's absolutely satisfied a a creative itch let's say so you if the role can be corporate at times and challenging and all of those things that's great i love it but this is something creative and it's also about engaging with people which is which is great it's what the platform's for you know i think when i scroll through if there's something in there that i go i either disagree i can't understand it or i don't like it i even like that not like it like it but mentally think I like that because it's it's disturbing me I think it's a great I think it's a great platform I think the more people that are job seeking that can follow you and look at what you do because that's another thing where I sometimes I look at job seekers and I think oh you, you haven't even got your photo on you haven't you know just please oh, come on um so yeah I mean the platform's great I can't um, I find it it's a critical part of my uh, my day you know just to 
what's relevant what are people up to what have i learned i've learned so much from that interestingly it will be interesting to see i've learned an inordinate amount of time in a short space of time an inordinate amount of things in a short space of time from tiktok and it'll be interesting to see how linkedin either follows that or tries to use that kind of bite-sized you know it's the longest videos out there is three minutes and that feels long i wonder what that's going to do to to content but that's another that's another story so yeah well we're seeing that same trend on youtube the average length of upload on youtube is about 30 percent of what it was five years ago so we're seeing interesting with this general kind of bite-sized preference from from social users we want the yeah, the executive summary pretty quickly yes um, and that just i mean i think communication in general is like that i just think we're less patient in terms of getting to the point and so this is really important when people are writing cvs or answering in interviews like keep it concise keep it punchy it's it's super important because mm-hmm. everything you do has to be customer centric user centric interview centric because we are also time poor and we're scanning and trying to get what we want out of the situation. And does that, um, would you kind of approach putting together a CV, putting together an application form, using some marketing techniques like the power of three, make make it three mm-hmm. things, you know, do, do something to set you, because I think do people just try and write as much as possible yeah, they do. They show up and throw up and vomit. <laughs> they just they just vomit everything. And I, like, I have complete empathy for that because um, you don't want to, you know, miss feel like you haven't told them something they were really looking for and and that kind of thing. But you know, my, my approach to CVs when we came up with the template that we use um, and that we talk about in the book and all of that, it's 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 imagine if Apple made a CV. Imagine what the user face would look like. Imagine how much white space there would be. How easy it would be yeah. to absorb. Like it would be super clean. Yes, absolutely. There'd be bullet points. There'd be the power of three. There would be outcomes and it would be super user centric. And within six or seven seconds, they'd be able to get the highlights of your career and put you in the yes pile. That's that's what you need to be thinking about. Um, I love that. But it's an easy trap to fall into. Most of the CVs I get are way, way too text heavy and are relying on the end user reading it, which mm. they're not going to. Mm. Is that the, so your book is a job seeker playbook, right? Yeah, so we, we, we published the Job Search Playbook this year, which went nuts. I had no idea how that was going to go. Um, I'm definitely not a, I haven't been an aspiring author or anything. It's just one of those things that um, came along and we went for it. And I'm really glad that we did because it's, you know, we said, right, we're going to do it in under 100 pages for under £10. And we're just going to get, you know, real clarity out to people around how to go to market. Um, so it covers everything from mindset to CV to LinkedIn to interview techniques. That's, that's exactly what it is. But the CV element specifically is about decluttering, about getting your strongest achievements right to the top rather than buried throughout the document and just hitting the reader between the eyes with it as soon as they pick it up because they're scanning it and they just want to put you in that yes pile or that no pile. So that's what Yeah, you don't want them to have to engage their Sherlock Holmes kind of, how do no. I unlock this puzzle? <laughs> no, you definitely don't. And as much as possible, you want to be talking about how you help them rather than talking about you. More so on LinkedIn than CVs, but... You know, I go on LinkedIn a lot and when people have populated, they quite often say, you know, I've got 15 years experience of this and 20 years experience of that. And again, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But your next boss doesn't care what your next boss. They don't. They really don't care. What they care about is them. 
And at the moment they're over here in a problem. They've got this content set, contact center that's underperforming. They've got retention issues in terms of their core customers and turnover issues in terms of their team. So what they really want to hear is, hi, I'm Martin. Typically I help people running contact centers who are struggling with staff turnover, um, grappling with a lack of retention or who want to develop and perform in new territories. If that sounds like something that could be of interest, you get in touch, right? That's what they really want to do. They want to hear yeah, how you help yeah. them, how you get them to the better future. But everyone just, again, vomits, 10 years this, 15 years that, buzzword central. They don't want that. They don't want it. Do you think, ha have people, have recruiters or people recruiting changed their thinking around things like career gaps, um, people returning to work, um, what a CV should be structured like? Because I, I know... Back in the day, it was, oh, there's a gap here. Right, circle that, ask them about that. Whereas now, is it, have we progressed from that? We have progressed, yeah. So we've progressed from, well, in, in the right companies, we've progressed from trying to catch candidates out to trying to create an environment where they can show us their strengths. And I think that's the right way to go. Also, it's widely accepted that over the last 12 months, no matter how good you were, literally anyone could have found themselves on the market, right? Mm, yeah. Like I, I've been working with some MDs and CEOs who've had 25 years, blue chip stellar career, never had to look for a job in their life, who've been on the market for a year. Honestly. What are they like when they come to you? Absolutely wound up to a frazzle, uh, <laughs> livid, um, but, but really, really good at then reframing, getting stuck in and, and going on executing. For them, the gap is more a knowledge gap around how you go and attract roles in this environment rather than anything else because they've been used to just getting phone calls but as you get senior you tend to outgrow your network it's like mm. if you're an md unless most of your mates are mds unless they're trying to replace themselves they can't give you a job right so <laughs> yeah. so it's it's more kind of a, a technique challenge but as i say i think broadly as a society we now recognize quite rightly that gaps don't mean anything um anybody could have been out of a gap and you know i think return to work parents are the biggest under tap talent pool in the country the biggest missed opportunity right now yeah they might have had a gap of three or four years but again you know i can tell you the skills you pick up as a parent yeah are super relevant the personal development you get from that period is super relevant so i'd like to think we're getting somewhere with that yeah they can do they can do everything and our industry i'd like to think has always been ahead of the game because any operations manager will tell you the best people in their teams were the part-time parents who it was not only their escape, but they brought all of those skills into work. Just amazing. I can think of quite a few that I just absolutely hit that kind of um, mould. I wonder if I can, can I just take you back? You talked about when you and your wife both got made, um, the roles got made redundant. I'm changing my language in, a, in this podcast. Um, what is your, can you tell us about the journey from then to now? Um, how have you done what you've done to this point where you're selling books, you're a LinkedIn change maker, you've got a great career and following and you're... Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com.
That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Because you were you still the same SME then as you are now, or was that? No, so I ran executive recruitment companies. Um, and so I was the MD for uh, an executive recruitment company. It was kind of mid-size. Overall, the organization had 85 people in five countries, something like that. Um, and But we weren't the business owners. We were I was the MD and my wife was the FD, basically. Um, we met before then, by the way. It wasn't uh, <laughs> nothing sus going on. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, one day, um, unbeknownst to us, we got a text message to go to a hotel and the, the business owners had other plans. And um, that was that after five years. Didn't see it coming, completely blindsided. Luckily, during that period of working, I'd started doing some career coaching and some job search coaching on the side. And so I set up Executive Career Jump initially as what the young kids call a side hustle, but it doesn't seem, yes. uh, doesn't seem right a 40-year-old bloke using the expression side <laughs> hustle, but let's go with it. So I had a side hustle because I'd seen the need. And so I was doing some coaching on the side. So when we got made redundant, we went through a grieving process, like everybody else, really struggled with it. Um, carried on doing a bit of career coaching, did some consulting, worked with some other recruitment companies. And then finally in December, 2019, thought, do you know what? Let's, let's go for this. And when we said go for this, it was record low unemployment. Um, our view was we've had a really stressful few years. Let's just lifestyle this thing, take on a few clients, spend loads of time with the kids, choose life. And then three months later, the whole world turns on its axis. Um, we're there with this kind of job search coaching and career coaching offering, right place, right time, pure luck. We were one of the winners out of you know what happened, um, which is why we're so desperate to pay it forward so much. And then, you know, our following, we grew by 70,000 followers on LinkedIn in 12 months. We started doing the live broadcast every Thursday at 12.15, which built this big community behind it. Our content started going. We built online courses, memberships, um, built up a good personal portfolio of clients. The referrals started flowing in. We hired other coaches. And here we are now with a whole load of different things that are revolving out of it. So, I mean, I'm proud of us for taking the leap when we did, because when we took the leap the market wasn't like that but as with any kind of situation we got really lucky to be honest with you in terms of what we launched and when but you were prepared right so you knew your stuff yeah you were, mo you were motivated <laughs> motivated and I just upset I'm I, I, like you know typical bloke where once I get into something I just lose myself in it you know what I mean yeah so well, the more I started delving into job searching and interviewing and all the nuances behind it and building up a playbook like we've broken it down to the most minutiae of detail from an interview question point of view there's no interview question you could ask that I wouldn't have a strategy for you know like we've gone yeah deep. so the more we started getting into it the better and you know we did some research as well which um without wanting to ramble on I think it's quite interesting so, ramble away thank you mate so we did some research which really hammered home how nuanced all this was and that was at the executive recruitment company we used to put forward five candidates for each role bear in mind this is senior role so this research doesn't translate to more entry-level stuff but at the senior level we had five candidates for each role and we went through the you know loads and loads of shortlists we said right we're going to rank these candidates from one to five in terms of who most wants the role to who least wants the role right so in effect how keen they were on the opportunity so the most keen people were typically out of work some of them desperately needed the opportunity. The least keen people were typically in role. We'd had to literally wrestle them into the shortlist. <laughs> yeah. 
bit of coercion. You, you had their family held hostage somewhere. <laughs> it was that exactly that, yeah. Um, the headhunting equivalent of that for sure. So, okay, let's look at the data. Who gets offered more? And the results were just, you know, frustrating, but really insightful. And that was that the most keen candidates, so the candidate who most wanted to get hired, got offered the role 5% of the time. The least keen candidate, so the one who had no interest in whether they got offered the role or not, didn't even want to go for the job, got offered the role 40% of the time. Wow. So this, so this horrible paradigm existed whereby you're eight times more likely to get the job if you don't want it and don't need it. We're like, what on earth is going on here, right? And then I started sitting on interview panels and watching and the candidates who I knew my team had put forward and really had to wrestle to get into interview, asked better questions, uh, treated the interview as a two-way process, were incredibly, yeah. were incredibly honest. So for example, if somebody said to them, why did you leave your last role? They'd be like, I had a big fallout with my boss. Whereas, I love it. Yeah. Whereas someone who was on the market would go, oh, you know, I kind of hit a ceiling and need a new challenge, you know, or something like that. And so we started going, okay, well, how, what we need to do is create programs from an interview perspective that help people remove the emotional attachment to the results so that they can interview as well as they would interview if they were in post. And that's what we're going to train them to do. So it's all these kind of pieces of the puzzle started to pull together. Then we went through it ourselves. And whilst we were going through it, we executed our own strategies. I had 40 interview offers within a week um, and all this stuff. So we had our own data, our own experience, our research and the course ready to go. And, and that was that. I love that. Because those, those people, they were, they were like in flow. They were, um, it's a little bit like when I talked, when you asked me about LinkedIn and also this podcast. Um, when you when you're doing it in a I use that word freedom again They're, those guys and girls that you mentioned there that you've had to that are the least desperate let's say or the least kind of oh, I must have this um they're free they're they're free to know that when they leave that interview if they get it or they don't they've they've shown up as themselves more freely in the process so that Can kind I, of, yeah, that's really it's a, it's a law of It's a law of attraction, right? Like a lot of clients, you know, laugh and talk about dating and playing hard to get or whatever. But it's, it's, it's absolutely the law of attraction, as you rightly say, being authentic to yourself. Um, I think that's absolutely what it is. Um, and, and really viewing it as a two-way process. Like people, we're talking interviews specifically here, but people remember the questions you ask more than the answers you give. Yeah, for sure. And they want to be challenged. You know, if your contact center's in disarray, you don't want someone coming in who's compliant and is going to maintain the status quo. You want somebody who's mm -hmm. going to ask the difficult questions, find the continuous improvement, you know, deliver a disruptive shift that increases the performance internally and keeps your high performance. Like, that's what you want, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, if I think to um, hundreds, having done hundreds and hundreds of interviews now, I think I much like you i struggle when our hr teams they have to do it because it's a fair way to do it but i don't like to be restricted too much at the end because i want to get to know so i want to i want to get to know someone i want i want there to be a when we're doing the wash up and the review of where people are at i want someone to have i want to have felt their energy or felt like you say that they've asked a question that's made me actually have to engage my brain and think rather than just going, okay, 
backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards. Thanks very much. Great candidate. Because they're in the interview because you think they're a great candidate already. It's not, it's not necessarily do you think this person has the skills, experience, whatever, because surely you've done that. It's when it's, then it's about a human to a human. And I think sometimes we over-structure it. Not, I'm not just talking about the company I'm at now, but generally where it's, we, we've gone too far through, we have to exhibit complete fairness and transparency. So we're gonna take people through a matrix. I get it, but there has, still has to be that free speech kind of interaction, personal opinion. I, I love it. Um, and you won't surprise you that I completely agree with that. The worst hires I've ever made is where I've hired based on CV, but ultimately had to um, intervene based on attitude behaviours. Yeah. So, so why are we spending the whole interview talking about this thing that doesn't matter? As you say, they wouldn't be in the room if they didn't have the background and competency to do the majority of the job. Mm. And, and so actually what we need to be doing is connecting at a human to human level and look, most hiring leaders, what do they really want? They don't want a GM of a contact center. They're trying to work out, have you got a good head? So do you make good decisions? Um, and you know, are, are you bright enough to do the job? Have you got a good head? And then even more important to them, have you got a good heart? Like um, yeah. integrity, morality. Can, do you, if you go in trying to build trust with the other person rather than get offered the job, you'll get more job offers anyway. Yeah, that's really, fa that's fascinating. So, you know, I love the fact, I love how hearing you kind of get just into something, right? So when you were just looking at interview questions for the book and were there any, um, were there any things that surprised you or were there any kind of, um, what what's the interview questions that you think people need to prepare the most for? Yeah. Or is it just a case of just being, being yourself? What? No, no. I, so th that, th this is a really interesting point, right? So whilst I think um, you should be absolutely authentic, I also think you should be going in there to allow yourself to be authentic and present because of what you've done before the interview. So I'm a big believer in research and rehearsal in, in all areas. Um, you don't want to come across as over-rehearsed, but if you have rehearsed, you won't come across that way. You'll come across as present. Yeah. Um, so the, the main things that people get wrong don't do very well. Um, Tell me about yourself, run me through your CV. That one you've got to have a strategy for. That is a story. Don't just yeah. read what's on your CV. They've already got your CV. Don't then just read it back to them. Like this. <laughs> yeah. So I've had people waffle on for 30 minutes. Yeah. Telling me, and then in 1999, I did this. In 2001, we moved to Birmingham. And into, it's like, what are you doing, mate? Like, none, none of that gives me any of the insights I need to work out if you've got a good head or good heart. So yeah. put, some, put some time into your story. If you want a framework to think about, Tell your story. We've got a five-five-five framework. So tell your story within five minutes and cover five achievements and five learnings. And the learnings bit's really important because that shows growth mindset, humility, and is an attractive prospect. So less than five minutes, five achievements, five learnings. That's how you tell your story. Bring that CV to life. So that's the first one. Strengths and weaknesses. People absolutely crumble on that one. I don't like the question, but people crumble on that one. This is really simple too. All you've got to do is give a real strength, an honest strength that's vital for the role and an honest weakness that's not vital for the role. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try and get into this. Oh, I'm a workaholic or <laughs> I, don't, I don't suffer fools gladly or, you know, yeah. don't, don't say something that's a positive. Just say an honest weakness that's not vital for the role. 
Yeah. Oh, so a weakness of mine has been, you know, you're going for a, a GM contact center role. Okay. Well, a weakness of mine has been social media. Whilst yeah. I see the power of the platforms, I've never really understood it. And so I'm going to commit that I'm going to go and learn that. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I also love the five because what it does, I'm sure for people listening as well, it makes you go like, so in my head, I was thinking, what would I say my five learnings are? Um, and then I guess there's something about the priority that that comes into people's heads about what were then. You could go even deeper, I guess. And so what the, the first one that comes up is why was that first? And why was that the most meaningful to you as a learning? And where when did it happen and where are you now? I can like just get keep going right. and keep going. There's layers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's there's layers to it. So they're they're the t- they're they're two big ones. Be able to tell your story right and Knowing your strengths and weaknesses, the competency-based stuff's pretty straightforward and you should be well set. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you actually something about um, you you personally and going on this kind of, since 2019, great period of growth. Have there, and just thinking about the LinkedIn live sessions, where you, how many people do you get on those now? Uh, we typically get between 200 and 300 live and then 5,000 watch the replay. The very first time you did one, were, were you nervous? Uh, yeah, no, not really. I was just experimenting the first time I did one. 16 people turned up. I wasn't expecting anything. I just thought I got awarded LinkedIn Live because you have to apply for it. I don't know. Have you, have you applied for I've it? Got, I, do you know what? I've got it. And there's partly a selfish reason for asking you. It's just I'm at that stage now where... Um, I've spent some time building the website that's going live tomorrow. Um, I now want something else to continue building my side hustle, if you like. And LinkedIn Live, I think, is is the next one. Um, yeah. So, um, so the first time I did it, it was 16 people, something like that. Um, as I say, we now regularly get two to 300. Hundreds of people have accredited those sessions with helping them get hired. They've made loads of new connections. We've had people connect on the stream and that result in jobs, right? Like it's been insane. Um, That's brilliant. Oh, so good. But from your point of view, the, the great thing about LinkedIn Live is the interactivity. So, you know, one person attending a LinkedIn Live is worth a thousand people reading an article that you've put out because you're really spending that quality time together. It's almost like a podcast. Yeah. Um, and it, you could also, it would work well for you in terms of repurposing it. So anyone who's looking to build a personal brand, the reason I like LinkedIn Live is, so in your scenario, you could just do this, but live, which would mean that you were interacting with your audience and building a following, but you could then extract the audio and release it as a podcast. You could chop up the video and then release five snippets as your next five social posts. So I think the smart way to build personal brands, particularly if you're in role is to do one thing and then repurpose that content in a number of different ways so that it works for you. And LinkedIn Live's a great way to do that. I love it. I mean, this is practically live because I don't even edit really anymore. (laughs) I just got to that point where um, it's like you say, I read the other day um, just about how if you, again, it's that thing about the process and if you're enjoying the process and if I have a hundred really engaged people that love the podcast, that's better than a hundred thousand that you have no interaction with. I totally agree. Um, But also, the editing thing i think one of the blockers that people have in terms of releasing content is they think it has to be you know 
like something that 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 would stand proud on the television or like it's like <laughs> yeah. it, it does it doesn't when I started doing videos I was literally walking down country lanes doing selfie videos my big round red head talking I challenge you on the head size that everyone in the family calls me bullhead bin they? head oh, bullhead we... bin head um, there's all sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, I think we, I think we'd have a good, uh, a good battle on that. But as I say, that that was it, right? And that yeah. authenticity, people felt like they were on that walk with me. Yeah. So this, uh, this idea that everything has to be overproduced in a way, I think things resonate better, and they feel like they're getting to know you if it is a little bit more authentic. So, love it. Yeah, done's better than perfect when it comes exactly. to content. That's for sure. Ex- exactly. Do you think some of that we've, I say we in a wider business world sense have relaxed a bit more about the pandemic. So um, I would edit out a doorbell going or one of the kids coming coming in, whereas now I don't, because I think everyone knows I'm recording this in my home. Yeah. So they're in their home listening. So what's it's normal life. Ah, yeah, I, 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 that took me a while as well. So initially when I was doing client calls um, just behind me there on the, dining room table upstairs in the office or whatever um you know if one of the kids rang or anything like, i was completely losing it when <laughs> when lockdown started you know <laughs> yeah zoe and i were arguing about it i was <laughs> shouting at everybody and a few weeks in i was like what are you doing like who cares <laughs> yeah. like what, what are we doing yeah. here like the, the way that we put kind of business historically put these business conversations on a pedestal when actually as you say it's just human human everyone's in the same boat so i had to really kind of untangle all that bs because I was, yeah, I, I was on, it was their home, right? I'm working from yeah. their home. So yeah. why, am I sh- why am I shouting at everyone? So yeah. I, I think we've all been on a bit of a journey with that, mate. It's been, uh, it's been tricky, but now I'm like completely relaxed. You could quite easily end up meeting one of the kids or, or uh, there's a dog running around in the garden that will fly in at some point. And I think, I think people like it. Well, yeah. yeah, I think people are, are totally cool with it. Yeah, I love it. So you're, um, I definitely recommend Pete, everyone that's listening, if you know if you are or you know someone that is that is looking for um work right now just jump on all the stuff that um that you do what's the question that most job seekers ask you like more often than not and does it does it vary by role or seniority um yeah it might vary by role or seniority um the the the, the one that you get most is about LinkedIn. How can I get the best out of LinkedIn in terms of optimizing my profile and producing content? That's, that's that, you know, that is the new thing. And I, rem- I remember when I was working in recruitment, we'd submit CVs and the first thing the hiring leaders would do was type the name into LinkedIn anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, it, so it really is taking on, uh, it, it really is taking on a lot more importance, isn't it? Um, and it's worth investing your time in. So it tends to be LinkedIn orientated now for that. All they need to be thinking about is, like you said earlier, make sure that the shop window is nicely merchandised. You've got a, a decent picture, you know, a nice banner up there of some type. There's plenty of free banner images you can use. And um, But most importantly, that you've got the buzzwords. So for the roles that you want to be found for in your headline, in your about box and in your job titles. Yeah. So, for example, I see a lot of profiles whereby people have got in their job titles, you know, their most recent job title, it might just say available. The one before it might say volunteer for the NHS vaccination center or something. All of that stuff's really uh, um, credible, but it doesn't help you shop in searches because when someone searches for a GM, it looks at your last couple of roles and then ranks you, right? So getting that SEO bit sorted is super important. 
and then get out there and engage is mm. is the only advice i would say put some posts out there and use comments like commenting on other people's stuff is a super powerful way to get into the flow with linkedin and to start to get more eyeballs on your profile and more connections moving your way too and like you say if you structured your day there could be a key part of the day that is just linkedin yeah and get i i like i say it's been i would also I've said to the people that I've got to know through trying to highlight their their search, you, they've got some great stories. They've got some, like one guy was featured, like he was interviewed on TV loads of times in another country. Um, he ran companies, sold companies, and said, write about that or video yourself about that. Get those videos out there, find them on YouTube, stick them out, ask, for people, right. to, ask for people to engage, keep going. I've equally seen some great, job seekers doing some slightly funny stuff just the, how they advertise how they're advertising and marketing themselves and there is so much free like you know the canva that the canva that is free um Amazing. i use canva, canva all the time and yep. you can you can put some really really nice graphical visual stuff out there attracting people to you it's kind of like you say it's that it's that mentality to start with, isn't it? It's just... Yeah, and just let go of caring yeah. what people think or what the response is going to be. As you said, you're going to get one or two that might not agree with you, and that's fine. You know, yeah. that's how you get engagement. You know, people disagreeing with you is, one, it's good because you don't want to be in an echo chamber anyway, but two, it's good because even if someone puts something that's not particularly pleasant in your comments, all they're doing is driving eyeballs on your post. They're just telling the algorithm that this post is worth promoting further. So they're giving you the gift of engagement. Don't don't bite on it. Don't get too emotive about it. Um, and just let just let go of what other people think. Like if, if I could have a superpower, it would be to inject in everybody to care less about what everybody th thought about. Like, yeah. I just think it holds us back so much, doesn't it? Like, Absolutely. Uh, there's people who are in careers right now to impress other people rather than because it's what they want to do. And I just feel like that's a, a tragic failing of society, if I'm honest. Definitely. And I think... The other thing as well is I've had just in the last week, two other people contact me to ask me about setting up a podcast also in the same industry. And they said they were really nervous about asking me, but I'm all for collaborative competition. There is enough space for everyone. And we should be talking to each other, encouraging each other. I couldn't agree more. The other day I was, I was filming a video for um, of myself for the website and you have that moment where before you press play or record i'm i'm thinking it's weird i'm less concerned about people watching it across all social media than i am about my other half and the children hearing me it's very strange but once you decide to do it the feeling afterwards is is brilliant even that slightly uneasy feeling of doing it and then and then committing trying it and like you say putting it out the more people that can do that um the better especially if you are job seeking albeit i do recognize it is tough it is tough for like you say that kind of what a what a resilient bunch oh it's hideous there's no other way uh, to describe it i don't none of the advice i give out is without the empathy and understanding of how ridiculously difficult it is right um so yeah no i i, I totally uh, i totally agree with you and just as a, a final point on that whole linkedin and personal branding thing when you're a job seeker you've got more time than ever to build a personal brand 
which will not just serve you in getting hired, but will serve you for the rest of your career. Yeah. So it's an investment you can put in yourself that, yes, might get you a job, but also is going to help you hire. It's going to help you attract in new personal branding opportunities like podcasting or whatever in the future. It's going to help you attracting customers or suppliers. It's going to help you get a job again in the future when you need one rather than having to start from scratch. And the amount of people that start from scratch on this stuff um, and they've got so much ground to make up. They're writing a CV from scratch. They're trying to build a personal brand from scratch at the moment they need it. It's like, yeah. right, make a promise to yourself, right? If you're on the, if you, anyone who's listening to this right now, if you are on the job market right now, make a promise to yourself that you will never ever leave yourself that vulnerable again. Use this time to build a personal brand that continuously attracts in opportunity for you. Make a commitment that even when you're in role, you can update your CV every quarter after your appraisal so that it's always ready to go and that you're never left having to start from scratch because we all get into roles and we forget what it means. It's the Etch-A-Sketch. We forget what it means to be on the job market and we just wait to be blindsided again and start from scratch. Don't do it, folks. Continue to invest now and in the future in your personal brand and your CV and be ready to go. And that's the best way to future-proof your career, I think. I've never nodded so much in a podcast because I can guarantee you that is exactly what I did. I was I was exactly the same seven odd years ago and to the point where um, I have been asked in the role I'm in now are you are you, are you looking to go elsewhere I mean, it's because I'm I'm working on myself I update LinkedIn I've put myself out there because I did start like like you say I was probably I was probably one lap in a 10,000 meter race so I had some elements of LinkedIn done but I just thought to myself, that's never happening to me again. No way. That, no way. And that it is. That's why I was nodding so vigorously, because what the person you described, that was me. And I remember saying to myself, no, never again. I'm going to make connections. I'm going to set aside time every day for networking. And if that benefits my current company, which it does, great. But it also makes sure that I do have a better network than I had seven years ago. You know, it's it's constantly being in that kind of, and then once you do it, you actually enjoy it. It's fun. Um, absolutely, we, we all know, like we all like people. So, absolutely, no, it really is fun. And fair play to you. Hopefully, others. You know, if if one person listens to this and that really resonates with them, then we we've done our job today, right? Yes, we absolutely have. I love I love what you do. Um, well done. I mean absolutely the right thing for for LinkedIn to do it's like you say it comes across a lot that you are definitely paying it forward um so thank you very much for coming on the podcast I'd love for you to come and do another one maybe we can get some questions actually maybe we can do I, you can be on a live with me let's do all that right. yeah no worries yeah. we'll get we'll get a live in no problem at all Andrew uh, thanks very much thanks for the invite it's been good spending the time cheers I didn't want to cut you off then. Were you going to say something else? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Do you know how many files your employees have uploaded, downloaded, emailed, airdropped, slacked, or shared via Google Drive today? A lot of that data has left your organization and you don't even know it. Visit code42.com to learn how Insider prevents data exfiltration.